And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. The 2021 NFL Draft is now over and done with. The Bills, by the end of things, wound up with eight total picks because Brandon Bean for the first time in his existence as the Bills GM traded down from a selection. It was a fifth rounder, but he traded down. So we can no longer say uh, he's never traded down, but the Bills ended up with eight picks, a very interesting output of what they ended up getting. Even if they didn't really intend to have it look this way. Here's what happened. They had a couple of pass rushers to start things off. We talked about Greg Rousseau on on the last episode that we recorded. Then in the second round, they took Carlos Boogie Basham Jr. from Wake Forest, who's also a pass rusher. Third round, they went with Spencer Brown, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. In the fifth round, Tommy Doyle from Miami of Ohio. He's also an offensive tackle. And then in that's when they traded down in the sixth round, they went with, I, I have trouble remembering the names already. Marquez Stevenson, uh, the wide receiver from Houston, who is a speedster. And along with uh, Damar Hamlin, a safety out of Pitt, an incredibly named cornerback named Rashad Wild Goose who is probably a nickel, but we'll get into that. And then they topped it all off with another offensive lineman in Jack Anderson from Texas Tech. So in total, five of their eight picks at the line of scrimmage. So Matthew Fairburn, when you take a look at this class on the whole, what is the first thing that stands out and what does this do for them now and going forward? Right now, it doesn't seem like this draft does a tremendous amount for them in 2021. I know after the draft, Brandon Bean said he does think there will be, you know, some impact on the roster in 2021 with the picks that they made, and they're hoping to have a short-term boost. But on the whole, this seems like a draft with an eye toward the long term, and there's nothing wrong with that. I do think you know, we we talked about Greg Rousseau after night one. There's a chance for him to make a short-term impact sporadically. I don't know that you're counting on him to be a 10-sack guy as a rookie, but in certain situations, I could see him making a few big plays for the Bills. Boogie Basham, I think, could do the same. I think he's probably more ready to play right away than Greg Rousseau is. And, you know, taking two defensive ends back-to-back says a lot about you know what they viewed as as a weakness on their roster and i think probably their plans for Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison beyond this season Hughes could still stick around depending on how mm-hmm. AJ Epinesa develops but i think taking those two guys back to back shows that 
num- they certainly stick with best player available uh, because Carlos Basham Jr. was standing out, and they had a deal in place to move down if he weren't on the board. And when he was there, they decided to take him. He's a guy that can move inside to three technique and rush from the interior in certain situations. I view him almost in some ways what they wanted Quentin Jefferson to be last year, a guy that could That's move exactly all right. over the place. And I think that is probably the best chance at a short-term impact for this team because in the third round they take Spencer Brown, a developmental tackle who has the upside to start, but you didn't pay Darrell Williams all that money to, to bench him this year. They could cut him after this year and save some money and then move Spencer Brown into the lineup. But if everything goes well and people stay healthy, he's probably not doing much for you. Marquez Stevenson, I think, could uh, as a kick returner. But, yeah, this is mostly a long view type of draft, and that's what their roster set up for. I think when you have a roster that is ready to compete right away, there can be a temptation to go for a short-term fix, whether it was a cornerback probably would have helped you know they probably could have found an upgrade in the first few rounds at cornerback you know I, there was a lot of talk about running back or, or a playmaker on the offense that could have you know helped them keep their fastball as Sean McDermott put it earlier this offseason but I don't think this is a bad draft by any means I don't think going back to back defensive ends was ill-advised it certainly creates a crowded depth chart and you know some complicated decisions in the short term but if those guys pan out that's exactly what they've been missing you know we've been looking at this roster for a while wondering where their young promising edge rushers are i think they have now the two most promising ed- young edge rushers are the two guys they just drafted uh more promising than aj epinesa i think so in that respect you know, I think when you look at it with an eye toward 2022 and 2023, I think it, it could turn out to be a pretty good class if they hit on those guys. But, uh, you know, I, I'm curious to see the plan they have in place for all for all of these guys, really the first four picks, uh, mm-hmm. some intriguing developmental talent. Yeah, um, I think the pass rusher plan – for the Bills coming up will be incredibly interesting to track throughout the summer. Uh, I think Brandon Bean, even last year, if if I remember correctly, he he said he thought A.J. Epinesa was probably a left defensive end in their scheme. And then this year, he again said the same thing about both Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham, which leads me to believe that they have switched their thinking on A.J. Epinesa as viewing him as more of a right defensive end in their scheme. And if you want to look at it even further, uh, late in Bean's post-draft press conference, I had asked him about Mario Addison, and he talked about the idea of Addison having uh, having his snaps cut back to keep him fresher throughout the season, so that way he's uh, he's a little... They've got him going for the the money downs, as, as what he called it. Um... And so that leads me to believe that A.J. Epinesa is probably going to get the starter share of snaps. At least that's the way I read into it from, from what he said. So the Bills have at least three guys moving forward that they believe in. 
Epinesa, Rousseau, and now Basham. And they've used a top two pick on all three of them. And like you said, I don't think this rules out Jerry Hughes from returning next year, but things are going to be tight on the salary cap. And, you know, when push comes to shove and Brandon Bean is staring at that decision to whether or not to trade down from 61 and he sees Basham there, who he likes, he's probably thinking to himself, well, man, we're about to pay Josh at least $23 million for for the fifth-year option. Tremaine's going to go up to 13 for the fifth-year option. Don't know what the salary cap's going to be at next year. Probably already on the books for a good $190 million next season. So, I mean, push comes to shove. Are they going to be able to bring back Jerry Hughes? Is Jerry Hughes going to want to play another season? Or could this be his last season in the NFL? A lot of uncertainty there. So, uh, I think he made the wise move. And I know everyone wants them to trade down, get, get assets, things like that. But if you truly believe in a player... Um, and that is what Bean has proven to be throughout his tenure as a GM. If he feels strongly about someone, he goes with his gut at, at that point. And, and that's, that's how he's operated. And for him to not do that would be for, for him to completely throw aside his philosophy and ideology of how he wants to draft. So stuck to his guns and, and, he, and he didn't let the moment affect him or anything like that. So, so yeah, I, I think they came away with a pretty solid class. The future part of it is the most appealing because the Basham thing has me curious. And I'm glad you brought up Quentin Jefferson because that is precisely the name I thought of when they drafted him. I mean, Basham is shorter. He weighs more, uh, uh, considerably more. Um, and he's got shorter arms than the prototypical defensive ends that they bring in to, or what they have brought in. Usually, it averages out around six foot five, two hundred fifty six, two hundred fifty seven pounds, and over thirty four inch long arms. And Basham is six foot three. He played this year at Wake Forest at two eighty, and he his his arm length is under thirty three. So that's a good. An inch and a half difference uh, in arm length from their prototype to what they're getting with Basham. So I kind of wonder, and he's got the body type that he can put on more weight. And and even Bean said it after the after the draft today about how Basham really shines when he's working along the interior. I wonder if his future, um, at least where he is in the base of it. If, if he's not working inside or maybe just this hybrid defensive end, defensive tackle to where he doesn't have a finite home and he's, as they listed Quentin Jefferson at the beginning of training camp last year, as a defensive lineman rather than a defensive tackle. So I think that could be a future for him, but odds are this year they're just going to have him be a defensive end and try and figure things out as they go um, and figure out what they want him to be. Uh, it, it'll be very telling if they try to get him to drop weight before coming to camp like they did with Epinesa, or if they're fine with him at his current um, body frame, body type, and and everything like that. So we'll see. Uh, that That's the big one. But the, the two offensive tackles, I think, were sneaky, interesting picks. I mean, Spencer Brown, when just when you watch him, I, I haven't watched a ton of him just yet. Uh, I plan to in the next week or so. He really looks like 
a former basketball player with with the way that uh, he moves his feet and how well he moves his feet for being such a big guy. And that is something you can work with. And that is something you can try to develop. Now, it's no guarantee that it's all going to come together. But when you have the quick feet and you have a little bit of coordination with the feet to your upper half, then you are in a pretty good spot to where there are some development things that you can do to shore up the technique. So that's one I think will be very intriguing to track over the next couple of years because I don't know that uh, he will see the light of day if they have anything to do with it uh, over the next couple of seasons. So I, I, I did not mind at all the second and third round picks. I, I thought um, it, it really could help them extend things uh, past 2021 and into 2022-2023. Yeah, I think you typically learn what the team views as potential long-term needs early in the draft and you know in those middle rounds the offensive tackle position was one that they shored up in the short short term by bringing back Daryl Williams but beyond that it's still a question and I think having a guy like Spencer Brown developing another spot where like edge rusher we haven't seen them draft and develop more so than they've been signing guys uh, on that spot and trying to, you know, address those needs in free agency. So, you know, after Cody Ford moved inside, they didn't have a young tackle, you know, rising on the depth chart. And now they have two. Uh, You know, I think Spencer Brown has a pretty real chance to be the starting right tackle in 2022 uh, if Daryl Williams can't, you know, really cement that job. Uh, I think that's, you know, a possibility for sure. And in the meantime, he's a swing tackle if either Williams or Dawkins gets hurt uh, at any point this year. So would an interior player have made a little bit more sense? Maybe they did get Jack Anderson late. And so he's a guy that can play center and guard, doesn't have super long arms, but certainly fits their play style in terms of the nastiness that, that he you know, blocks with and the way he finishes blocks, uh, you know, pretty familiar with, with zone schemes and zone running schemes. So there's a chance that he ends up as a developmental player if they can find a way to keep him on the practice squad or uh, find a spot for him on the roster. And I think they, they looked at premium positions, right? Where are you going to find a six foot eight 310 pound, 320 pound tackle like Spencer Brown, who moves the way that he does. You find those players in the early rounds. Where do you find guards? Kind of all over the place, right? You find Jack Anderson falls because he has short arms. Well, he could probably overcome that in the NFL uh, with the right coaching and in the right scheme. You take enough swings on guards later in the draft, you'll probably find one that you like before long. Tackles, defensive ends, those are premium positions that not that many human beings are built to play. And that's why they go early. That's why you see them in the first round of the draft all the time. And it starts to level out, you know, after, and Brandon Bean acknowledged that, that certainly Carlos Basham was was sticking out on the board, but there was a drop off at offensive tackle as well. So if they wanted to address it, you know, they had to to make that move. 
Then they go and do it again with Tommy Doyle, uh, you know, another really crazy athlete, six foot eight. So, you know, having that talent waiting in the wings, um, I think is, you know, a, a pretty smart move with an eye toward the long term. Now we'll see what the plan looks like for both of those players. And you're not counting on every pick to turn into exactly what the ideal projection looks like. But if one of those two players turns out, then you've got a a chance to save some money with, you know, moving on from Daryl Williams at some point in the next couple of years uh, and, you know, finding yourself a new right tackle. And that's how you continue to extend your window. It's the same as it's why the defensive end picks, I understand some of the, concern that they bypassed other needs but when i look at it i I see a defensive end depth chart that could get thin really quickly and Mm -hmm. defensive end is not always a position that you can count on that player to contribute right away unless he's a really high draft pick they need the right situation the right spot in rotation to have that kind of impact so Taking these two guys says, you know, in 2022, it's not something they have to, you know, worry about a ton if they have to, you know, move on from from Hughes and Addison's a, a free agent as well. So I, I'm okay with with those picks. Now, if you want to sit here and argue that they didn't get better in 2021 this offseason, I think you've got a legitimate case. You know, we talked about it after free agency. The team isn't dramatically better than the one that lost in the AFC championship game, but they certainly didn't get worse. They brought a lot of people back. They built some young depth in this draft, got a couple of players who could produce for them as rookies in Greg Rousseau and Carlos Basham. So they, I I wouldn't consider them a noticeably worse team than the one that lost in the AFC title game a year ago. They're certainly not dramatically better. And if you want to argue that that they could have done more to be more aggressive to to get better, I, I suppose I'm open to that argument. But they were pretty tight up against the salary cap once it dropped. They had to get pretty creative to bring back the guys that they did. And there's still the potential for some growth from some of their younger players. Ed Oliver, uh, you know, started to come along toward the end of, of the season and looked pretty good. AJ Epinesa was was getting a bit better. Tremaine Edmonds started to find, you know, his his groove again in the playoffs a little bit. So, you know, and then if the offense continues to to play the way it did, then they're going to be back in the playoffs, back in the mix. And I think the Bills look at this as a lot of teams get to where the Bills are and they say, what can we do to get that, get that Super Bowl. What are what is the one move? You know, there's teams that have traded from the 20s all the way into the top 10 to get a wide receiver or a certain defensive end and try to make that one move to get them over the top. The Bills seem to be taking the approach of keep the window open as long as possible because if you're in the mix in January, you're going to have a chance. The team that's playing the best and is the healthiest, you're gonna be in the mix. The longer you're in the mix, the better chance you have of breaking through, getting to a Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl. So I'm okay with the approach, and I think they have the luxury of doing it because 
they've bought themselves goodwill, they've bought themselves plenty of time, and they've built themselves a roster that wasn't desperate for a rookie to come in and save the day. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah. Um, you brought up Daryl Williams and giving them the potential to get out of it. And just so people know, if they wanted to get uh, out of Daryl Williams contract after the season, they can. It's very easy for them to do so. And they would be able to save over $5 million. I think it's around $5.3 million um, if, if they wanted to cut him after the season. And if they had him start the next couple of years, let's say, and then cut them after 2022, they could then save $7.1 million on the 2023 salary cap. So they do have options here. And they also built in the, the possibility that this one year that we saw from Darrell Williams was a fluke. Like if he comes out there and is not good or not as good as he was last year or he gets injured and and then it forces Spencer Brown into the lineup and they start to see a little bit from from this young kid then they have the opportunity to move on from Daryl Williams. So there's a, there's a lot of um risk assessment built into that contract that I don't think a lot of people realize. So uh so yeah, it, it was very important for them to find some tackle depth because heading into this draft the only player that they had that was a backup tackle was Ryan Bates. And I'm not really sure you can call him a backup tackle. I think he wants to be an interior player. He probably wants to be a center because there's money there and he probably sees a, a path to, to become a starting center in Buffalo down the line, especially if they move on from Morse after 2021. But still, there's there's a lot up in the air with the offensive line. We set it going into the draft. That's why we thought there, there could be some some movement there for them in this year's draft class. And lo and behold, they took three. <laughs> um, who, who's to say that Jack Anderson's going to make the team, but they took three with the idea that, Hey, they're, they're going to have to get some young cost control deals coming up here because, you know, Bates is going to be coming up as a free agent. Ike Butker is only signed for the year. Uh, Forrest Lamp is signed for one year. Bobby Hart is signed for one year. Jamil Douglas signed for one year. They might move on from Mitch Morse after the season. So there's a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts at offensive line. But I did want to bring it back to the defensive end conversation just briefly because now there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen <laughs> at defensive end. I mean, let's just go down the depth chart right now. They have Jerry Hughes. They have Greg Rousseau. Mario Addison, A.J. Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Daryl Johnson, who was a seventh-round pick who they liked in 2019, 
F.A. Obata, who they gave 800000 I, be- I believe, in guaranteed money to, Mike Love, and Brian Cox Jr. So they now have nine defensive ends on this roster. And odds are they're only going to be able to keep five, maybe six, maybe six, if they can carve out a, a spot for someone who plays special teams. So my big my big uh, th- thought here is the most interesting person throughout the offseason or coming up here is going to be Mario Addison because that's the guy that they invested in last year. They reworked his deal um, to give them some cap relief and they added a, a void or they have a void year on it. Um, and so he is signed to the point in which they can't really save much money by cutting him. And, uh, you know, if they cut him before June 1st, they they can't save anything. In fact, it would add an additional um, charge to their cap. And if they cut him after June 1st, it w- I think they would save $1.4 That would just basically be kicked down the road until 2022. So my big question is, because I know this is a pretty popular thing with, with some of the fan base out there, my big question was, Okay, what's the plan for Mario Addison? And do they believe that he has value not only on the field, but off the field as well? And if you want to go by what Brandon Bean says, and I know he's a general manager and and you know, sometimes you have to take things with a grain of salt, especially in draft season. But I did not really sense a guy who was waffling on whether or not Mario Addison was being was going to be on this team. It seemed like he was like, oh, yeah, this guy, you need guys like this in your locker room, especially for for younger players and, and things like that. So it, when you have Russo, Basham, Epinesa trying to figure out who they're going to be in the NFL, the veteran voice, the veteran leader aspect is something that they have always subscribed to. So I don't know. I don't know about you, but... I got the feeling just based on how Bean was talking about and how effusive in his praise he, praise he was for the guy that Addison's probably going to be here in 2021. Yeah, a couple of things in addition to Brandon Bean's words make me think that. I, the way he spoke is not the way you speak about somebody that you're necessarily thinking about cutting. There was no right now. There was no waffling it was pretty direct pretty clear and the benefit of cutting mario addison seems to have diminished i've been checking on this but the contract information i have suggests that there would be 2.9 million in savings if he's designated as a post june one cut Mm -hmm. and a little over 7 million in dead cap so to me that's not enough that's you know that's not if you wanted to get rid of mario addison the time to do it was in march and they missed that window you could sit here and say that this is trent murphy all over again but i think it's a little bit different because mario addison was somewhat productive at times last season and brandon bean also mentioned reducing his snaps could make him more effective for this team in 2021. So I think they probably keep him around, but you're right. It is a, a crowded depth chart. If they keep five, I think it's Hughes, Addison, Rousseau, Basham, and Epinesa. And I think you Mm -hmm. can live with 
letting the rest of those guys go. I know Daryl Johnson is a guy that they certainly liked uh, coming out of that draft, and they thought he had you know, some traits that they could develop. You could, you know, it's possible that he's hit his ceiling as a situational rusher who can contribute on special teams. You can probably mm-hmm. find another special teams player. Um, you know, F.A. Aboda certainly was an intriguing guy when they signed him, but I don't think you're losing sleep over letting that guy go if you have to. Now, they can also get a little bit creative if they choose and find some roster spots, you know, at defensive tackle for some of the, you know, they have, you almost put all these defensive linemen into one bucket because, you know, they harp on that position versatility and almost all of these guys have it, right? I mean, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's guys that can move all over and maybe you don't need, you know, an extra defensive tackle. Maybe you don't need a Justin Zimmer because, there are guys that can slide inside and, and do what Zimmer does. So there could be some ways to get creative with it. There could also be a trade at some point because this is looking like their offensive line room looked a few years ago when they just had a ton of guys and had to do something, you know, had to move somebody. So it's a position that teams will covet. You know, it's a valuable position in the NFL. And they have time to sort it all out. That's what makes the 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 Basham pick one that you know people were a little curious about because it created a bit of a numbers problem. But there's a there's ways for them to solve that problem. And again, if you have to cut Daryl Johnson, F.A. Aboda, Brian Cox Jr., and Mike Love, that's not the end of the world. It, no, it speaks not. to something that Brandon Bean said about this being a harder roster to make than it was a few years ago. That's always the goal. It's hard to make this roster at defensive end, and that makes it harder to keep a player like Daryl Johnson or F.A. Aboda. As intriguing as their skills are, they're going to have to earn it, and they're not just going to be handed a spot. And that's a good thing, I think, for – pass rush that was a problem let's not forget that was not a strength of this team so bringing back somebody like daryl johnson who had an opportunity on a team that was desperate for pass rush i get it he's a seventh round pick he's still young he's still developing everything has been you know positive for daryl johnson if he gets cut somebody would scoop him up but they've gotten better they they've sort of raised raised the bar in that room and you know, we'll see who's up to the challenge. You know what they do then? Trade Daryl Johnson. Like if sure. he's going to get scooped up, somebody somebody could want to give up a, a sixth or seventh round pick for that guy. And and that way you still have something worth your trouble. Um, and you still have three um, defensive ends that you've invested heavily in in the draft and your two veteran guys to help those three guys along in their journey and their development. So there is that aspect. And the defensive tackle idea is another good one. Um, Harrison Phillips is someone that I kind of have my eye on that could be a potential solution to their problems here because it all depends on what kind of versatility they think Rousseau and uh, Boogie Basham could have in, in their first season because we've seen Vernon Butler be able to play one technique defensive tackle before. So if they could get, say, 
a fifth or sixth round pick for Harrison Phillips, trade him, have Vernon Butler play this hybrid one tech, three tech role, kind of like what he did last year, and then have Russo and Basham chip in on the inside, then that's a potential solution. Is it necessarily ideal? No, but it does allow you the opportunity to have Daryl Johnson on your roster to help in special teams to where Harrison Phillips is really just a one-phase player and he's a backup one-technique defensive tackle behind the starter who is probably getting fewer than 50% of the snaps in itself. So what's more important, that backup one-tech who's on the final year of his deal or a defensive end who is playing upwards of 70, 75, 80% of special team snaps every time he's active. And then there's the the other part of this. Who's going to be active on game days? How many how many spots do they have open for all of these guys? Like, they're not going to sit Epinesa, uh, Hughes, Russo, Basham. They probably won't sit Addison. So are you going to address six defensive ends on game day? Probably not, right? I mean, it just seems like a, a bit much at that point. So, so yeah, they're they're going to have to get a little bit creative. Maybe they they dip their toes in the trade market with either Harrison Phillips or Daryl Johnson. I think this probably signals the end of the road for Mike Love and Brian Cox, uh, at least in terms of trying to make the active roster. This, this was not a good outcome for uh, 2020 darling Justin Zimmer. Um, maybe Zimmer takes Phillips' place just in general, but. You know, it seems like they're going to have to cut someone that fans probably like from that defensive line group. But it's for the greater good, right? Because you brought it up. Their pass rush was super inconsistent all last year. And so they actively did something about it. They used their 30th overall selection on it. That's They knew that's where they wanted to go. All of this stuff about running back. I mean, Brandon Bean said it pretty succinctly after the draft. They had no intentions on uh, uh, on targeting a running back in, in the draft, even though he said he's not against the idea of drafting a running back in the first round. He, he didn't want to put paint himself in that corner if there was a future situation to where they might want to take a first-round running back. But he also said that they weren't targeting one. And so they had the idea all, all along. Edge rusher, they said it before the 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 draft you know there there's there are some guys in in the draft this year so you knew they were fans of it we knew that they were fans of uh, uh needing to get more pressure and specifically citing multiple times at how Tampa Bay got pressure on Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl and so that to them in their brains like okay this is the key not coverage on the back end it is making Mahomes life more difficult when he is trying to get the ball out will help everything else on the back end and they're probably right I mean it, it that was probably their biggest downfall defensively you know offense they they didn't play as well as they they needed to in in those two games but defensively they just weren't getting a lot of heat I mean the first first time around they played the Chiefs the run defense wasn't there so they feel like they've got the run defense a little bit more short up now that Latula lays back uh, they've got more They've got more assets as pass rushers that that have potential to really develop into something. So that's where they think they have gotten better because they probably view it as, all right, if the Chiefs are here, how do you narrow that gap 
And to them, pass rush was was the most logical explanation. And I don't know that I necessarily disagree with that. Yeah, and as we talk about the defensive tackle, defensive end balance in setting up a 53-man roster, you know, when they talk about a player's ability to play inside in passing situations, in nickel situations, that's a lot of situations. That's a yeah. lot of the, you know, in, in especially against the the tough opponents, the top opponents in the conference. So if you have to go with Ed Oliver, Vernon Butler, Star Latulale as your three quote-unquote defensive tackles on your roster, but you have A.J. Epinesa, Carlos Basham Jr., and Greg Rousseau, all with the ability to kick inside, and Mario Addison, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you're okay. I, I think that's actually a plausible scenario as we sit here right now. I don't know that you're getting anything for Harrison Phillips in a trade, but it's possible. Uh, you know, It's possible somebody would give you a late-round pick. I don't know that you know, Daryl Johnson being a defensive end only might hurt him other than the fact that he plays a ton of special teams, but you can find players to play special teams. You can, you know, as good as he is at doing that, it may not be enough to save his roster spot mm-hmm. with this group. But if you have Ed Oliver as your starting three technique, Starla Tulele as your starting one technique, Vernon Butler essentially as the primary backup to both in a base defense, but then Greg Rousseau, Carlos Basham Jr., A.J. Epinesa, all as backups really to both in passing situations. And Mario Addison, Mm -hmm. forgot to throw him in. I think that's a fine roster construction. Now, like you said, you have to figure out who's going to play, who's going to be dressed uh, on game day and how you're going to sort all that out. But with as much as teams throw the ball in the NFL, I I don't think it's a bad idea to construct your roster in such a way where the pass rushers are who you're putting a premium on. And mm-hmm. even if those guys do it from the interior, you know, if Greg Rousseau's not screaming off the edge as a rookie, but he's getting some some snaps at one tech in passing situations and you know, causing havoc for guards and centers, that's that's fine. Same with Carlos Basham. He li- he actually likes it in, inside uh, quite a bit uh, from talking to him. So I think that's a an okay situation. And the talent that they have at defensive end and the way those players can move around is a lot more interesting and enticing and worth building a roster around than what they have on the interior in my opinion you know they they know what they have you know ed oliver uh you know certainly is going to be a staple vernon butler you know started to come on at the end of the year and they certainly missed star uh, quite a bit at times last year but it's I, i'm curious to see the packages that they put together with the group that they have because they say how much they love the versatility, and I think it allows for a lot of creativity in how they scheme. So it should be interesting to see how they put it together once these guys are all on the field. 
Yeah. The least versatile players they have along the defensive line are Star Latulale and Harrison Phillips. And the lingering question is, do you need both of those uh, on your on your active roster? With And you lined it up perfectly. This is a passing-based league. Their base defense is nickel. They are in it in 65 to 80% of snaps. That is who they are. That is what the NFL is. What real role are you expecting from a guy like Phillips? Now, in a, I wonder if maybe he, Phillips I'm talking about, could be like a throw-in if, say, the Bills wanted to restart the, the conversations about Zach Ertz and try and go about it that way. Not to say that the Eagles would do that straight up, but that's... A defensive line body who showed some potential. Um, it's on a cost-effective deal that that they could uh, that they could package or the Bills could package with a draft pick to try and lessen what the Eagles are looking for in draft compensation, and that way you get Zach Ertz. You're giving up one draft pick, and you're trading away a, a potential guy that you would have cut in the first place based on all of the the players that you have drafted so that's a plausible solution i mean the eagles would have to go for it but maybe just like a a trade kicker or something like that i think i think there could be some potential there i mean the thing i always come back to and i know it's a little bit different because in the nfl the craze for offensive linemen is insane, especially right at the end of training camp, which is something that Brandon Bean has done a really nice job of taking advantage of over the last couple of years. But for him to be able to trade both Marshall Newhouse and Russell Bodine uh, right near the end of the summer is, it just goes to show sometimes how desperate teams are. So we'll see. I mean, they're going to have to figure out something. It might not be an ideal situation where they're able to trade one of Phillips or Johnson or even Addison if they were even interested in, in moving him along. Um, it might not be perfect that they that they end up having to cut one or more of those players. But at this point, it's probably a good situation for them because they have addressed significantly a premium spot on their roster that they feel very strongly about being able to help them sustain pressure with the front four. Because even when they blitz, they drop those defensive ends or they drop a defensive end or drop a defensive tackle back into coverage. They want to, it's not absolute. Sometimes they send five, sometimes they they send six with the two linebackers over the center or something, stuff like that. But for the most part, they like to rush with four. And if they feel like that they just got significantly better in that area with multiple first, uh, one first and two second round picks over the last two years, then they have to be feeling pretty darn good about where they're headed in, in the next few years. Yeah, they need these investments to pay off because... Yeah, that's for sure. You know, if if you want to poke holes in Brandon Bean's record as a general manager, the draft is probably where you do it. Uh, you know, obviously nailed the Josh Allen pick. And outside of that, you know, there haven't been the home runs uh, in drafting. So now, and we've discussed this, as they get to this part of building their roster, you need to hit on the draft picks because 
mm-hmm. you need to save money. And we just talked about the decisions that these draft picks are going to force them to make about players like Harrison Phillips, Daryl Johnson, F.A. Aboda, you know, these guys that are somewhat proven to be decent quality NFL players, you have to hope that A.J. Epinesa and Carlos Basham and Greg Rousseau are ready to make some impact in 2021 and certainly in 2022 because by 2022, it's their show. You know, they've thrown a ton of money at the defensive line with, you know, not a ton of great results. Now they're throwing some draft picks at it. And they already had, you know, drafted at Oliver and AJ Epinesa, but this furthers that investment. And so pretty soon it's going to be a defensive line drafted and developed by this staff. And they're going to need the results to be there because they've made, you know, they've sunk some premium resources into that spot. And this is not throwing darts on day three. This is, you know, the the picks that you need to hit. And I'll never fault, you know, a team for investing in the defensive line uh, early in a draft. And I, that's where was a, a second edge rusher, a bit of a surprise, sure. But you're trying to build for the future and build a line that can grow into grow into itself really as these guys you know have to take ownership of it when Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison move on and Star Latule so they're in a spot where they're going to need these guys to contribute sooner rather than later they have some leeway but you're not drafting guys in the first and second round to hang out on the practice squad you know it's not it's not hockey where these guys get to develop a year in junior and then you you bring them up they're going to take up roster spots and they're going to force you to cut some talented, uh, proven NFL players. So yeah, it's time for time for these investments to pay off. And we're going to, you know, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny and, you know, attention paid, I think, to Brandon Bean's drafting over the next couple of years, because he has been so excellent at signing free agents and, you know, acquiring veterans that it's really, you know, covered up the misses drafting, which is what you want, but you don't have as many free agent dollars to throw around when you have to pay some of the hits that they've had in the draft, like Josh Allen and potentially depending what they decide to do with Tremaine Edmonds. So yeah, this is certainly a draft that they're looking toward the future, but also one that was crucial in setting up their salary cap to be healthy for the long term. Because if you hit on these guys, you saw what happened in Carolina when they when they hit on their their early round defensive linemen. They had themselves a, a a strength on their team and it helped, you know, carry them to the Super Bowl that year. So um certainly interested to see how they put all this together because I think they've got the makings of a pretty good defensive line. I I like both of these players they picked enough to to think that they've got something good going and you know we'll see how eric washington puts it all together and and a lot of this will come down to you know we're talking about what they did this weekend and the players they took in the first and second round and rousseau and basham but 
it's a position that takes a little while. So a lot of this is going to depend on Ed Oliver and AJ Epinesa, you know, providing that return on investment. And, you know, it was a year and two years ago that people were excited about those guys being the first pick of the Bills draft. And now, you know, they're hoping to see those guys become cornerstones of their defensive line while these other young guys grow and, and they, you know, get that pipeline going. So, um, certainly probably something that we could have seen coming a little bit, you know, where they view this as a premium position and perhaps the most important position outside of quarterback and their actions are backing that up. Yeah, definitely. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Now, if we look at the the rest of their draft, um, just to kind of put a, put a bow on the 2021 draft class, their last four picks all came in the final two rounds. And I, I said their names at the beginning of the show, but just in case you need a little refresher, there's Marquez Stevenson, who's a wide receiver out of Houston. Uh, there's Rashad Wild Goose, cornerback from Wisconsin. Damar Hamlin, a safety from Pittsburgh. And Jack Anderson, an interior offensive lineman who played right guard at Texas Tech basically his entire career. So my question is, because there are like, roster spots are not going to be easy to come by. And I found it very interesting that... After the draft, Brandon Bean basically said, you know, because we have the roster being what it is, there was a benefit to trading back from their last fifth round pick to be able to get additional picks in the late rounds to where they have a say as to who comes to them. Because with priority free agents, they're probably not going to attract a ton of interest because those agents are going to look at the Bills roster and go, well, look, my guy doesn't really have a chance to make your team. Why would I have him sign with you? So the Bills were kind of like cutting out that idea altogether by by getting an additional draft pick, which is a smart move if you don't believe anyone so strongly in the pick that you would have taken, which in this case was 174th overall. They ended up getting two sixth for it. So that's that's a solid move. So of Stevenson, Wild Goose, Hamlin, and Anderson, in your mind, which of those four guys has the best chance to stick in 2021? Because I do think there's a chance either three or maybe all four are not on the 53-man roster by the end of the summer. I think Stevenson has 
the best chance to stick out of the group because I can see a 2021 role for him at kick returner. Um, he's extremely effective as a return man, and they don't really have one on the roster. I know, you know, they they signed Powell, they brought back Isaiah McKenzie, but signing Powell almost says to me that they don't think Isaiah McKenzie is a full time returner, and he had a touchdown doing it last year, mm-hmm. but. I'm curious of, you know, exactly where they stand with Isaiah McKenzie as a return man. Brandon Bean mentioned it as a need. You know, they were addressing a need by picking Stevenson in the sixth round. And he referenced him as a returner. You know, uh, you know, certainly he's a receiver as well. But I think that's a guy that has a chance to crack the roster. Anderson strikes me as a guy who should be in the mix on this team, but is probably a practice squad candidate. Uh, Wild Goose, probably the same thing. Uh, you know, I don't know that it's not super deep at cornerback, so there's a chance that that he could make it, but you're right. All of those guys have a chance to not be on the team. And the way that Brandon Bean talked about you know, wanting to get those picks so that they wouldn't have to compete for undrafted free agents almost makes me think he views all of those guys in that bucket. Like that's their undrafted group. Mm -hmm. And when your team is as deep as the Bills is and when you know that the draft is thinner than it has ever been in terms of sheer numbers... I think it's fair to look at those guys as fringe undrafted free agents. You know, the sixth rounders maybe are like seventh rounders in a normal year and your seventh rounder is like an undrafted free agent. So I think Stevenson has a chance because I think if he impresses enough in the return game, that's enough to make the team. I don't know that Isaiah McKenzie's a lock given his contract. And I think Stevenson can be that missing piece in the return game. And I don't think, you know, a year ago I might've said, oh, they're going to trust that to a rookie, but they did that at kicker. And I, I kind of feel they would do the same at return man. If, if they're, you know, if they feel like they have the right guy. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, of the four, I'm probably with you on Stevenson being my best bet to make the team because not only does he have the returning, the kick return and punt return possibilities, but we've also seen it with Brandon Bean where he gets fixated on young receivers that he drafts. Like, I'm thinking of Ray Ray McLeod here. Like, he was, he was pretty locked in to Ray Ray McLeod for a while. He ended up cutting him and then lost him. Um, and then brought him back after he lost him. Uh, so he, he never intended on losing McLeod. And then finally, after, you know, two two years and a summer, he's like, okay, it's I, I've seen all I need to see. He's had all these chances. But with Stevenson, he does give those, uh, at least it brings them that potential. And Stevenson is super quick. So that will certainly endear him to the bill's mind especially when it's his first step that gets him to accelerate and gets people to miss and everything like that 
uh, to where that is extremely valuable on something like punt return. So he's a name to keep an eye on. And I also think it would be maybe not. um, I think there's a way to get him on the roster and even keep McKenzie. Like they could, they don't have to keep four tight ends next year. They could cut Reggie Gilliam if they really wanted to and, and play Jacob Hollister or Dawson Knox um, in that role that Gilliam would have played. And Hollister could take up Gilliam's snaps on special teams. So there's a way to do seven receivers and three tight ends. I don't necessarily think it has to be six and four. So uh, there's at least a path. Uh, The only other one I would say, uh, just because I think it's the path of least resistance of all of those clump of four, would be DeMar Hamlin. Um, Because... Right now, the Bills have three locked-in safeties to their roster, which are Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, and Jaquan Johnson. They have Josh Thomas, who was an undrafted free agent last year and stuck around on the practice squad all season, got a couple of games where he played some special teams snaps where he was elevated from the practice squad um, just for a game. But I do think that that will be a competition to see who the fourth safety spot, who the fourth safety is. That's... If the Bills don't sign a veteran, um, which is a very distinct possibility, uh, rather than trusting that fourth spot to either an undrafted guy from a year ago or a sixth round pick from kind of a a worsened player pool than than what is normal. But Hamlin would be the other one that I think has a shot. And I think if Rashad Wild Goose is even close to making the 53-man roster, they just got to do it to get that name on the back of a jersey, man. I mean, we, we I, I think we talked about Wild Goose at one point leading up to the draft, and it's just, it's outstanding. <laughs> like, whatever his number is going to be, just throw it on there, and it's going to be an instant like, oh my God, I forgot about Rashad Wild Goose like 10 years from now, and it'll be great. Yeah, he's going to... That jersey will sell regardless. I already had a few people tweet at me that that they're ready to buy the jersey. And so, yeah, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, people are probably customizing it as we speak. And (laughs) they just need to drag that out as long as possible. Let them, you know, start a a preseason game or something and, you know, drum up the jersey sales, find a way to sneak them onto the practice squad and and milk it like Jason Kroom. Just let them hang around for years and, you know, keep selling that jersey because what a name he looks like a player that oh yeah that they could do something with and but it, it's hard to make this team when you're picked that late and you know you mentioned mm-hmm. hamlin i think he's got a little bit easier of a path to a role because dean marlowe's gone so yep exactly uh, so i think wild goose might have a tough time but I guess buy the jersey while you can, while he's here, because, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens over the summer. Yeah. I mean, make sure you know what number he is and then react accordingly. So it's 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 too good. It's one of those it's one of those names where it's like, yep, that's 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 it. They really outdid themselves here. All right. So the 2021 NFL draft is done. Um, if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat for a reduced rate on your yearly subscription where you, you get to read all of the stuff that both Matthew and I write right over at The Athletic. 
Same thing for Tim Graham, John Vogel with the Sabres. And soon enough, that will turn into draft prep for the 2021 NHL entry draft. And then, of course, you get all the stuff through the spring, training camp, and into the season, things like that. So make sure to go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat and uh, and subscribe today. All right, Matthew Fairburn, any uh, last words about the draft, or have we have uh, exhausted ourselves? You know, there was a little bit of a scare in the draft when the Buccaneers took Kyle Trask uh, as a backup quarterback option, but it does sound like there's a good chance that Blaine Gabbert will be back in Tampa. The Buccaneers are hoping to re-sign him. <sighs> He's been everywhere with Tom Brady. I feel like it's a pretty good pretty good vibe they've got going in Tampa. Kyle Trask could, could probably learn a, a lot from Blaine, Blaine Gabbert. You know, Kyle Trask probably needs to, to learn some lessons in survival from, from Mr. Gabbert. So that'll be a big storyline that the entire NFL world will be watching. You know, there's been a lot of quarterback drama this weekend, but I think that stands out above all of it as we head into these next few weeks is, you know, will Tampa Bay be able to bring back Blaine Gabbert? And if not, let the sweepstakes begin. I think I think Blaine should hold out to see if Green Bay trades Rodgers and then Green Bay snaps him up and then you, they've got Blaine Gabbert starting in the NFC North. What a a competition that would be Kirk Cousins, Blaine Gabbert, Jared Goff, and Andy Dalton. I know they drafted Justin Fields, and he'll probably play. But just just give me this Blaine Gabbert. How about that for first, a four pack? Blaine Gabbert's first and maybe only. I don't know if it was his only, but his first three hundred yard game as an NFL player happened at Lambeau Field. I was there. I <laughs> Can you tell? That. I was. I was just about to say, can you tell everyone why you know that fact? <laughs> I was there. It was the only, I know it was the only 300-yard game he had for the Jaguars. So maybe there's there's some magic up there in Green Bay. This could, you know, the quarterback carousel has not stopped spinning yet this offseason. There's still some some moving pieces and I think that's probably why you know, Blaine Gabbert's been been waiting around like like a snake in the grass ready to ready to find his spot. <laughs> Uh, like a snake in the grass, like a thief in the night. All right. Um, I think that's, that's going to do it for us. Um, we have, uh, certainly been rolling on some low sleep, uh, hours and, and things like that, but it's all been worth it. So th- thank you all for listening throughout the entire buildup to the NFL draft. I know it was kind of a a quick pace, especially right after the season because the, the Bills were in it for so long. But we appreciate you all listening, engaging, everything like that. And uh, the fun has only just begun because now we shift into off-season mode and and uh, and see if the Bills will work out. And then before you know it, training camp will be here in late July. So it should be fun. All right. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Piscalia. Thank you, everyone. Yet again, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you on the next episode. See you then.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.